welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Thursday the 22nd of February 2018, entitled Fanning the Flame, and the Bible reading is taken from Nehemiah chapter 2. Here's Brother Dave Kistler. I, uh, all the music. I just want to hear Michelle play, though. That's what I want to hear. But anyway, good to see all of you. And by the way, I know many of you know Michelle. In fact, all of you probably know Shelly's expecting. And this will be grandbaby number what for the Curtises? Number four. And we're expecting our first grandbaby uh, April the 6th, the very first one. Everybody says, Brother Dave, you're just going to spoil it rotten. And Nathan says it all the time. He said, Dad, you've gotten soft in your old age. And it's true. And so we're looking forward to the first grandbaby, but an exciting time. I apologize that Betsy could not be here like she was last year, but she teaches about 80 piano students. Our oldest daughter is now living in the area with our son-in-law and teaching there at the piano studio, as is Hannah, our youngest. And so she teaches Monday through Thursday from about 8.30 in the morning till almost 7.30 at night. That's hard to imagine, but that's a full day. And she has basically Fridays and Saturdays off. And she would have tried to come here and be part of the conference, but because the baby's coming in April, she's trying to save her off time for when the baby comes so that she can be a help to our daughter. But it is a blessing and a delight to be able to be here. Great to see so many smiles on your faces. And uh, I am thrilled and blessed, as Brian said last night, uh, to be able to be here looking forward to what God's going to do. And let me say this. We live in a unique time, don't we? I, I, of course, we're from the United States of America. And, uh, do any of you watch the news? Do any of you watch the news? Do any of you do that? Do you ever get discouraged when you watch the news? I mean, I watch the news in, in the United States of America, and I come away thinking, you know, man, our country's about to fly apart at the seams, and there's division everywhere. And I'm not saying that those things do not exist to some degree. But I will tell you this. We serve a God who's alive and well. And God is very much on the move right now in the United States of America. And if all you watched was any news, whether it's news here in this wonderful country or whether it's America news, you'd come away thinking, you know, that God's not doing anything. But I'm here to tell you, He is. I just returned last week from Washington, D.C. And what God is doing there from a spiritual perspective is absolutely amazing. And maybe over the course of the next several days, uh, I'll be able to kind of weave some things in that God is doing and share some of it with you to give you a little bit a better perspective of what's going on. But I will tell you this, when you watch or you sit in a meeting, let me word it that way, you sit in a meeting earlier in the neighbor of the Brian, you go home and you watch the five or six o'clock news and they report on the meeting that you just attended earlier in the day and they say the meeting was about this. This was the topic of discussion. And I come away, Michelle, scratching my head going, I don't know what meeting they were in today because that's not what was discussed in that meeting or that was not the emphasis of what was discussed in that meeting. I've come to this conclusion, the media just lied to us. They just make things up sometimes Well, when they should be telling us the truth. But I want you to know we serve an awesome God and He is alive and well in your country just like He's alive and well all around the world and He wants to do great things in our lives and through our lives. And what I'm praying is that during these days we'll get ourselves positioned to where God can work not only in us but God can work in a stellar way through us for His glory, and that's what I want to talk about tonight. Book of Nehemiah, if you have your Bible with you. Nehemiah chapter number 1, and while you're turning, let me just say this. Every day, you are given, every day I am given, 1,440 minutes. 
We will sleep a good portion if you sleep eight hours a day. And yesterday I slept a little more than that because I hadn't slept in about two days uh, leading up to the flight over and I just don't sleep on an airplane. So by the time I got in the car with Larry, he was talking to me and I did what I always did. And Brother Larry did and I was nodding off like this. Not because the conversation wasn't good, it was. But I was just so tired and by the time we got to bed last night, I was a whip puppy and I was ready to get some sleep and slept a little bit later this morning as well. But we have 1,440 minutes that are given to us every day. God intends us to use that time for His glory, and He wants to work through us and accomplish something in our life. Now, what I have been praying since the beginning of the year, folks, is this, that God would use me to be a fanner of the flame. You say, Brother Dave, what kind of flame? I believe God wants to send revival to this country. I believe that with all my heart. I believe God wants to revive my country of America. I believe God wants to send a revival to your heart and to my heart. And I believe God wants to use us in a mighty way for His glory. So I prayed, along with my sweet bride at the beginning of the year, God help us this year to be fanners of the flame. Help us to be facilitators of what it is, God, you want to do, not only in our country but around the world. And I was studying through this passage of Scripture, and I found something. If God's going to use us, folk, three things have to happen. You see, Brother Kissler, what are you talking about? Look at Nehemiah chapter number 1. Let your eyes rest on verse number 1, where the Word of God says this. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, and it came to pass in the month Kislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, and certain men of Judah... And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. Now look up at me for just a minute. If you know anything about the book of Nehemiah, you understand that Nehemiah had grown up in what's called the captivity. Remember how Israel had sinned against the Lord, and the Lord sent a foreign enemy, an invader, down into the land of Israel in the form of the country of Babylon. They conquered the, the, the nation of Israel, the city of Jerusalem. They took basically everybody back with them to the country of Babylon, leaving behind only a handful, typically the weaker people, to take care of what was left of the city to raise some crops and attend to what was left of the city of Jerusalem. But most of the people were carried into captivity in Babylon. By the way, Nehemiah was born to parents who were in the captivity. Nehemiah has never actually seen his home country. But if you know anything about the people of Israel, and by the way, having visited there twice in the last couple of years, I will tell you this, I've learned this about the Jewish people, they love their land. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. You ought to love your land. I love my country, the place where I was born. There's nothing wrong with that. But the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, had a connection to the land. So when Hanani and some of the brethren come from the nation of Israel to Babylon, though Nehemiah has never actually seen the home country, he inquires, how are things going back home? How are things in the city of Jerusalem? And by the way, I'll not read it to you, but the report he gets is this. Things are not good. By the way, the walls of the city of Jerusalem are crumbling. The gates are burned with fire. And when Nehemiah hears that, the Bible says, I sat down, Nehemiah speaking, I sat down and wept and mourned and fasted certain days and I prayed to the God of heaven on behalf of my land. He was burdened. And in his burden, he walks in before the king. 
You remember Nehemiah's job. He is the cupbearer to the king. He walks in before the king and the king notices something very uniquely different about Nehemiah. He notices that his countenance is sad. And by the way, may I say this? In those days, you ran risk of your own life to show up in front of the king with a sad countenance. And Nehemiah knew that. And the king looks at Nehemiah and says, Why is your countenance sad? And I love what Nehemiah does. He said, And I made my supplication to my Lord. In other words, the king noticed my sad countenance. Lord, you got to help me. you got to help me right now. And he says, Lord, help me to explain what my heart is feeling. And he says to the king, why shouldn't I be sad? Because my brethren back home in the home country are in great affliction. The walls of my home city are crumbling. The gates are burned with fire. And the king was not stupid. He knew Nehemiah well. And by the way, he respected Nehemiah, which is a message in and of itself. By the way, among the lost world in which we live, we ought to live in such a way that they respect us highly. Could I hear an amen right there? So he says to Nehemiah, Nehemiah, how long do you need to be gone? I love that, Brian. He had already put two and two together. I, I know what you're go, where you're going. How long do you need to be gone? And Nehemiah says, I set him a time, which means this. He said to the king, I need to be gone from here to here. And he doesn't stop there. He says, King, you could facilitate my journey. You could improve the amount of time. Lessen, if you will, the amount of time I need to be gone. If you do this, 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 and this. And you know what the king does because he respects Nehemiah? He does everything Nehemiah asks. Now, having said that, I want you to look at Nehemiah chapter number 2. Let your eyes rest on verse number 12. Nehemiah makes the long journey back from Babylon to the city of Jerusalem. By the time we get to Nehemiah 2 verse 12, Nehemiah has been back there for three days. Three days during which he has surveyed the needs of the city. He surveyed the needs of the people. Look at Nehemiah 2 and verse number 12 where Nehemiah says this, And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Now I want to pause and have you look up at me. Do you know you cannot tell everybody what God has laid on your heart to do? Brother Brian, I'm going to be honest with you. I love you, brother. But God's laid on my heart some things I hadn't shared with you. In fact, I hadn't shared some of the things God's laid on my heart to do with my own bride yet. And you say, preacher, why will you not share them with anybody, especially your wife? Because if you share some things, they'll look at you and think you're crazy. That's what they'll think. By the way, uh, the first time we tried to, to uh, set up a massive gospel tent on what's called the National Mall in Washington, D.C. How many of you know what the National Mall is? Anybody know what it is? I had a lady ask me one time, she said, is there a Dillard's, which is a department store, like, uh, you know, what, what's some of the department stores in here? Talk, talk, talk. Aldi? Okay. All right, that's a, kind of a food store, isn't it? Okay. Uh, shopping, I mean, clothing, any, what, what, help me. Harrods? Did somebody say Harrods? Okay, well this lady asked me, is there, like a, is there a Harrods in the National Mall? I said, it's not that kind of mall. It's not like a shopping mall. It's that two mile long stretch of real estate that runs from the U.S. Capitol down to the Lincoln Memorial. One mile down is the tallest building in D.C. called the, the Washington Monument. And we set our tent up there and preached the gospel twice a day. The first time I suggested that to someone, you know someone asked me this or said this to me, Dave, they will never let you do that. They will never... And I said, well, who is this they that you're talking about? By the way, my grandmother used to say that. She'd say, well, you know, Dave, they say. I said, well, Mama, who is this they? I've never met them. And she looked at me and she said, well, you know them. I 
me, well, that, that, that answered the thing for me, didn't it? I said, Grandma, who is the them, the they? Help me know who. Well, you know they say or they will not let you do. Well, who are they? I mean, it's this unnamed, faceless group of people that are always saying certain things can't be done. They will never let you do. I am so glad I didn't listen to the they say. Because we not only got to set the tent up one time, we set it up three times. Can I hear an amen? And preach the gospel. First time we wanted to give a Bible to every member of the United States Congress, everybody in the legislature, Peggy Neighbor, and I love Peggy, but she said, Dave, they will not let you do that. I said, well, Peggy, forgive me. My grandmother used to say that. Who is the they? She said the same thing. Well, you know. Them. That's who they are. She said, no, no, no. She said, seriously, there are campaign finance laws that will not allow an elected official in Washington, D.C. to be given a gift valued over $10. $10 U.S. dollars. She said, how much do those Bibles cost? I said, they cost about $79 a piece. I said, now, we're not paying that much for them, but that's what they're valued. She said, oh, well, they, they will never let you give one of those. I said, well, we're not going to give a Bible. She said, you're not. I said, well, you said they can't receive a gift valued over $10, right? She said, nope. I said, so we're not going to give anything away. We're not going to give Bibles. We're going to present Bibles. <laughs> See, in D.C., they, they play word games, okay? They do. They play word games. So I said, we're not going to give anything. Uh, we're going to present Bibles. She said, what does that mean? I said, for example, uh, our elected officials can be presented a plaque or a trophy, an award, and that award or trophy or plaque costs more than 10 bucks, but because it's not a gift, it's a presentation, they can take it, right? She said, I think I see where you're going. She said, I think that'll work. And I said, of course it'll work if God's in it, right? So we coached all 30 people that were going to be presenting Bibles. I said, from here on out, there's two words that are four-letter words. Give and gift. You do not call when you schedule an appointment and say, I'm coming by to give a Bible to the congressman or senator. No, I'm coming by to present a Bible. And you know what? It not only worked, it worked royally. It was awesome. But they will not let you do this. Well, they may not, but we serve a God who can do anything. Are you with me? Neither told I, Nehemiah says, any man what God had put in my heart to do it in Jerusalem. Now, God's laid a lot of things on his heart. He hadn't shared it yet. Watch if you would, please. The rest of verse number 12. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast I rode upon. Now, watch verse number 13. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well to the dung port, and... I want you to say the next word out loud. He said, I did what? I viewed... Would you say it again? I viewed the wall of Jerusalem. You ought to circle the word viewed or underline it, highlight it, somehow make note of it. I viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down. The gates thereof were consumed with fire. Watch verse 14. Then when I up, or on rather, to the gate of the fountain and to this king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Now that's an interesting statement. The rubble from the collapsed wall. And by the way, Brian, I've been there. I have seen a scale model version of the old city of Jerusalem, what it would have looked like in Nehemiah's day. And there are spots, the very spot Nehemiah's trying to navigate through, the crumbled walls have so much created rubble that he cannot ride on the animal he's on. He has to get off the animal, go on foot. Watch again verse 14. I went on by the gate of the fountain to the king's pool. There was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Watch verse 15. Then went I on to, uh, up rather in the night by the brook and... Second time he's used this phrase. Would you say it? I viewed the wall 
turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did. Neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Now watch carefully verse 17. Then said I unto them, ye... What's the next word? See. Now look up at me for a minute. I viewed the wall. I viewed the wall. And then I said to the people, ye see. Literally it means this in Hebrew. Don't you see? Don't you see the distress that we're in? How Jerusalem lies waste. The gates are burned with... Don't you see the trouble that our nation... Don't you see the trouble that our city is in? Fact is, they didn't see it. Let me just share something with you. I don't put a lot of stock in most statistics. But I will tell you this. I have a psychologist friend who's told me, Brian, all it takes... For any human being, I don't care where he lives, it is human nature. All it takes for any human being to get used to something the way it currently is, is just see it that way for six weeks. After six weeks of seeing it the same way, you never notice the problem. By the way, that's true. Brian, there's an overhang. Underneath our church building, you can pull a car through there on a rainy day and let your You know, people in your car, your wife, your family out to go into the church so they don't have to get rained on. And there is a globe light fixture hanging from a chain underneath that overhang. And evidently, a few years ago, we had a problem with something on the roof because water was running underneath the shingles. Somehow, water was running and running down that chain and into that globe light fixture. Do we have an electrician in the room? Anybody that knows anything about electricity? Who's our electrician? Everybody? Okay, you're, oh, yeah, that's right. Yes, I remember. This man built something for me last year. He built it for himself, but he gave it to me, and it's still working a year later. I mean, that's a, not because I, don't, I question his ability. I mean, I'm just saying the battery shouldn't have lasted that long, but it has. It was amazing. This globe light fixture had water running down into it, and it's big like this, like a big fish bowl. There's an incandescent light bulb in it. The, the, the bowl had filled up with water where part, maybe one-third of the light bulb, is submerged in the rainwater that has filled. Can you agree that's, that's a fire hazard? That's dangerous? I remember walking underneath that, seeing the light bulb on, partially submerged in water and thinking, wow, that's dangerous. That's a fire hazard. Somebody ought to do something about that, right? But see, I was busy... I didn't have a ladder to get up there and, you know, let the water out. And I thought, well, what I'll do tomorrow is I'll call our maintenance guy, tell him about the problem, let him fix it. Well, here was the deal. I got busy that afternoon, and certainly the next day I was big, forgot all about it. You know, I walked underneath that thing over the next two months many, many times. You know, I got to the place where I never even noticed it anymore. It's one thing not to notice a light fixture filled with water. It's something else not to notice your city in trouble. Don't you see? Fact is, they didn't see. Now, Nehemiah is stressing something that if you and I are going to be used to the Lord in 2018 is absolutely essential for us. You say, Brother Kissler, what is it? I hope you'll write this down. Number one, we must see what others don't. We must see what others don't. By the way, the Bible says when Jesus, Matthew 9, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. When Jesus saw multitudes of people like we saw down at the city center today, he saw something most people didn't see. He saw people in desperate need of a Savior. Can I hear an amen right there? What do you see? 
in this city of over 6 million precious people. By the way, today we visited the Apple store. There was a young man there who served in the British military, and he came up and started a conversation with us. And he said, what do you do? And uh, we kind of explained to him, you know, well, we're all preachers. And he said, well, I'm not really a religious person. And we we didn't respond to that, but you could tell he he was not very religious, but he was curious about what it was we were involved in. And we struck up a conversation. Can I tell you something? As we're standing there talking, as others are speaking, my heart was praying for this gentleman that God would work in his heart. By the way, before we left, he said, you know, again, I'm not very religious, but if you've got any any connections with the man upstairs, he said, I'd appreciate your prayers. And we promised him, we will pray for you. What I'm praying is he'll come to know Jesus as his Savior. That's his number one need. When you see people, what do you actually see? Typically, we see bodies that just happen to have an eternal soul. Folks, we ought to see them differently. They're an eternal soul that just happens to have a temporary physical body. The least important part of people is the part most of us focus on the most. And that's the exterior. Nehemiah is seeing what others don't. Now let me give you a silly illustration to help you understand. Brian, I've got an evangelist friend. Uh, he's pastored and been an evangelist over in uh, North Carolina. He's been down and lived and pastored in Georgia and other places. But he was telling me a few uh, months back, he took his little boy, who I think was seven years old, over to South Mountain Park. Do you know where that is? Have you ever hiked at South Mountain Park? Okay, anyway, I've been there one time. We've hiked a portion of it. It's a hiking trail that you can walk on or you can take a bicycle and you can ride on the trail. And he said he took his little seven-year-old son to hike or, you know, around this, this South Mountain Park. And he said when we got out of our truck, he said we had our sack lunches and he said we, I'm carrying all those in a, kind of in a, in a backpack. And he said we go out to the trail, make a right-hand turn. He said there's a little bit of an incline here. He said I thought we'll get that knocked out first uh, while my son is most fresh and then we'll come all the way around the loop. And he said, Dave, no sooner than we had gone 30 yards on this hiking trail, forgive me, I'm not trying to be silly, but he said I saw them coming. He said I counted them, one, two, three, four, five, six of them. They're called naturists. How many of you know what a naturist is? Okay. All right, for those of you who have not been enlightened, can I share with you what a naturist is? They are people that hike outdoors or bicycle outdoors, but they do it without a stitch of clothes on. Okay, have you got the picture now? He said, here came six of them on bicycles. He said, we try to get as far off the trail as we can, but we couldn't avoid them. Here they came. All of them riding by. He said, I looked over at my little boy, and he said, my little boy's jaw is on the ground. Eyes as big as plates when the last one got by. He said, my little boy looked up at me and said, Daddy! He said, I said, yes, son. He said, Daddy, did you see those people? He said, I couldn't lie. I'd obviously seen them. He said, so I said, yes, son, I did. He said, there was a long pregnant pause. And then my little boy looked up at me and said, Daddy! Not a one of them had their helmets on. Not a one of them! Had their helmets on. <laughs> and my evangelist pastor friend said, Dave, I'd say he missed the obvious, wouldn't you? <laughs> if you got naked people coming by and you miss the obvious, that's a good thing. Are you with me? But if your city's crumbling and in spiritual trouble and you miss that, that's not a good thing. Are you with me? Look, folks, if God's going to use us in this pivotal year of 2018, 
We've got to see what other people don't see. Number two, not only see what others don't, number two, we've got to be willing to say what others won't. You say, preacher, what does that mean? Look at verse 17 of Nehemiah 2. Now, this is very important. After surveying and seeing the need, verse 17 says this, and this is Nehemiah speaking, Then said I unto them. He's seen something, but now he's saying something. I want you to watch what he said. Now watch verse 17. Then said I unto them, ye see the... Would you say the next word out loud? The what? Literally, the word distress means the deficiency. Our people, our country, our city is deficient. We got a problem. Don't you see it? They didn't. You see the deficiency, the distress that we are in. Watch the rest of this. Boy, this is language they hadn't heard in a long time. How Jerusalem lies. What's the next word? Waste. And the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build up the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a... What's the last word there? Reproach. Would you look up at me for a minute? A reproach literally means a stigma. Brother Dave, what's a stigma? If something has become a stigma, it has become this. It's become the object of derision. Literally an object of finger pointing. That's a stigma, a reproach. You say, Brother Dave, who's pointing the finger and what are they pointing the finger at? The people pointing the finger are the enemies of God and the nation of Israel who lived outside the city walls. Well, Brother Dave, what were they pointing their finger at? They were pointing their finger at a city called Jerusalem, the city of the great God. Can I tell you what they were saying, the enemies of God? This? This? Is the city of the God of Israel? This is the city, the God of which led Israel out of Egypt by the Bible says a high hand. This is the city, the people of God, the city of God, the God in heaven who provided for his people in the wilderness manna to eat. This is the city of, are you kidding me? And they were laughing and making fun. Is anybody else in here is up to here as I am? with people making fun of our God. We serve an awesome God, don't we? People are mocking His name. And Nehemiah says, aren't you tired of that? And he's saying something. Those people haven't heard in a long time. Now let me just say this. I live in a country, God have mercy on us. And my son full time is in a city ministering called Washington, D.C., and I'm there as much as I can be, but he's there full-time ministering in a city that has become experts at not speaking the truth. Forgive me, Brian, but if you're in D.C., by the way, I see a few here, this applies. If you're losing your hair, it's generally called B-A-L-D, bald, right? You cannot use that term in D.C. I'm not kidding, you cannot. The term in Washington, D.C. for losing your hair is you are follically dysfunctional. It's the truth. You are not a crook in Washington, D.C. No, you're not a crook. You cannot use that word. The terminology, Brian, is this. You are an ethically challenged person. Yeah. 
By the way, you don't lie in Washington, D.C. I'm not kidding about this. The term is, you spoke disingenuously. Don't you love that one? By the way, any of you, any of you reared in a home like I was reared in where your dad would paddle or spank you? No, not beat you, but he... You didn't grow, I didn't grow up hating my dad. I grew up loving him and respecting him. Are you with me? I never one time got a paddling for being disingenuous. I didn't. I got paddling for lying. And by the way, my, my, my dad was a very patriotic disciplinarian. He laid down the stripes and we saw the stars. That's just the way it was, okay? But I didn't grow up hating him. Look, Nehemiah is speaking truth. Are you with me? Wow. We're in distress, folks. We're in trouble. We're in desperate need of God's help. Would you agree with me? Our world is in desperate need of the help of Almighty God. My country and your precious land that I love so much, we're in desperate need of a touch from God. And we're going to have to speak truth. Hey, to be fanners of the flame, facilitators of revival, you got to see what others don't. You've got to be willing to say what others won't. Nathan's here, but cover your ears, buddy. When Nathan was four, see, Rachel would have been seven, Nathan's four, Hannah's two. We'd pull into a church. You know, we lived in the big fifth-wheel trailer, Brian. Pulled it with a Ford pickup truck. Traveled all over America. That was our home. Forty feet long, about eight feet wide. And we'd pull into a place, and as soon as I could get water connected, you know, to the trailer and turn the hot water heater on, uh, the water got hot enough, Betsy'd start getting the kids' baths done on Saturday evening, getting clothes ironed for Sunday morning. And, of course, Rachel would have been seven, so she could take her own bath. And Nathan was four, and he, he could do that okay, you know, a little help from Dad. But Hannah's two. And Hannah had to have Mom's help. So, Miss Janie, I, I remember this. I mean, it would happen every week. Two years old, Hannah, get her a little bath, you know, in the little tub shower of the trailer and as soon as she got out of the bathtub Betsy would dry her off and Nathan and, and Rachel and I would be over in the living room and the door would be closed and I could hear her drying that long hair of Hannah's off you know and Hannah had a terrible habit if you turn to do anything she would open the door of the bathroom pitch the towel and she would streak through the trailer without anything on now she's only two but probably ought to discourage that if you know, as a parent follow me true well, this particular night, I heard Betsy drying Hannah's hair. She must have turned to get, grab something, a brush, to comb her hair out. All of a sudden, Brian, door opens up, towel, pitched. Hannah, ran right through the truck. I'm not kidding. Nathan, four years old, hand goes over his eyes like this. Out loud, he said this, Oh, Lord, help me forget the naked woman. <laughs> I said, man, man, that's an awesome prayer, Rob. That's a great prayer. Man, keep praying that one. That'll keep you out of trouble the rest of your life. Help me forget the naked woman. You know what's great about children? They just speak truth, don't they? You, you preach to teenagers. Now, now the, the college-age young people, they're more dignified. They will not tell you this. Teenagers will just tell you, Brother Kissel, that was awful. That was a terrible message. You know, the, the older, and, the, and the older we get, the more we lie. You know, God bless you, Brother Dave. That was an awesome message. I got more sleep than I've gotten. No, no, no. But anyway, people just say stuff. Kids are just honest, aren't they? And they say things in truth. 
And I can encourage us about something, but we need to start speaking truth into other people's lives. Not unkind, but some people, they just, in fact, everybody just got to hear the truth. Spoken in love. Are you with me? Nehemiah may sound harsh. He's not. He loves his country and the people of it enough to say what nobody else was willing to say. And God uses him to facilitate one of the greatest revivals the nation of Israel ever experienced. Now I want you to see one last thing. Look at Nehemiah chapter number 4. If God's going to use us like He used Nehemiah, if we're going to be fanners of a flame, and that's what I'm going to try to do over the course of this week when these dear young people arrive that just bless my heart so much, I just want to fan a flame. And hopefully them and you and all of us get on fire for God. Are you with me? Well, if that's going to happen, we've got to see what other people don't see. We've got to be willing to say what other people won't say. And then number three, we've got to do a third thing. Now, look at Nehemiah 4 verse 8. So built we the wall... Remember, the enemy can come in at will. Nehemiah says, we've got to get this wall built. So they get started on the task of doing it. So built we the wall. Nehemiah 4, verse 6. Excuse me, I said verse 8. Verse 6. My, my eyeglasses. I need trifocals and I don't have them yet. Too stubborn to get them. Anyway, verse 6. So built we the wall. And all the wall, watch this, was joined together under the half thereof. We got half the wall done. Look how they were able to do that in such a short amount of time. For the people had a mind to work. You know what, Brother Brian, you know this as a pastor. Brother Larry knows it. It's amazing what can get done if people have a mind to work and don't care who gets the credit. Wow. Well, they're working and God's blessing and the walls are being revived out of the heaps of the rubbish. Look at verse number 7. Not everybody's happy with that. You know if God does something in your life this week? Not everybody's going to be happy with that, especially the wicked one. Watch verse 7. But it came to pass when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then were they very... What's the last word of that verse? Wroth means they were very upset. Angry. Look at verse 8. So angry that they conspired all of them together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. Now watch what the response of Nehemiah was in verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God. When the enemy said we're going to go attack and stop them from completing the building of the wall, Nehemiah said we prayed about it, but he didn't just pray. Look at the rest of the verse. And set a watch against them day and night because of them. Now look up at me for a minute. We prayed, yes. But we set a watch to keep the enemy away. Are you with me? Oh, Brother Dave, we got to pray. I agree. We don't pray enough. But sometimes just praying is not enough. Yeah, we pray, God help us, give us wisdom. But sometimes we just rise up and defend the things that matter to us. We set a watch. By the way, if you read the rest of this book, as they built the wall, they had a trowel in one hand, spreading mortar and setting block. And they had a sword in the other hand. Do you remember that? They built and were prepared to battle at the same time. Watch your Bible. Verse 10. And Judah said, Judah said, by the way, Judah is part of, of the good guys. Brian, they're the brethren. 
They're the good guys. Now they're building a wall. Got half of it done. Enemy starts attacking when we prayed, but we also prepared to defend our, our wall. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes the brethren. Look at, look at this. And Judah said, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. And there's much rubbish so that we are not able to build a wall. Now, folks, look up at me. The brethren said, great idea, Nehemiah. Wonderful idea. Rebuild the wall, protect our, our city, protect the crops we're raising. Great idea, but we're tired. Strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. We're worn out. And there's a lot of rubbish. Got a, still a lot of work to do so that we're not able to complete the task. The brethren are saying it can't be done. Can I say this? I can take anything. I can listen to anything. But you know what breaks my heart? It's when the brethren say, Brother Dave, that's a great idea. But it can't be done. I'm sure glad I didn't listen every time people said it can't be done. Because we serve a great God. Are you with me? Watch verse number 11. The brethren said it can't be done. Here comes the enemy. And our adversaries said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease. Now look up at me for a minute. The brethren said it can't be done. The enemy said it won't be done. You will not complete this wall. No. We'll come in among you when you're not expecting and will kill you and will cause the work to cease. Wow. By the way, can I say this? In my country right now, if you stand for righteousness, I don't care how lovingly you do it, people get upset. You know, my dear brother, I've had phone calls in the last year, left messages on my cell phone that says, I wish you'd just die, preacher. I wish you'd get AIDS and die. I wish somebody would take a gun and kill you. But the crowning expression was this one. When in the mail, forgive me, not trying to be gross, came in a plastic bag, human feces sent to me. Preacher, this is what we think of you. And along with it, a threat. You know that's exactly what Nehemiah was enduring and a whole lot more every day. Brethren said it can't be done. Enemy said it won't be done. However, Nehemiah has a little statement to make. Why don't you look at verse number 14. While the brethren said it can't be done, the enemy said it won't be done, Nehemiah says, look at verse 14, And I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not afraid of them. Remember, would you say the next two words? Remember who? The Lord who is what? What's the next word? Who is great? And what's the next word? Ter Look up at me for a minute. Terrible does not mean the way we mean it today. Awful. Remember the Lord who's terrible. Man, that's a terrible automobile. Awful. Poor quality. No. The word terrible in the Bible means not awful. It means awesome. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome. And look at the next word. What does it say? And do what? What's the word again? Fight for your brethren. Fight for your wives. Fight for your... Look, if, if they matter to you, don't let the enemy have them. Can I hear an amen? amen. Wow. And if you've seen the movie Fireproof, 
Isn't that an awesome movie? Where the guy has marriage trouble, his wife works at the hospital, and this slick doctor begins to woo her. And not knowing he is doing some repair work on the hand of the very husband of the woman that he's interested in, the doctor patches up his hand, and the young man who has his hand patched up realizes, this doc's after my wife. And he shows up at the hospital, and he says, Doc, that's my wife. And I think I got a little bit of a head start on you because she is my wife. And Bob, I love this. By the way, Doc, thanks for fixing my hand. (laughs) Preacher, that's violence. No, Rob, you love Shelly. Yes, sir. Somebody was trying to take her away from you or harm her in any way. You better say, Doc, thanks for fixing my hand. Right? Yes, sir. Well, Brother Dave, just pray about it. Trust me, I'll pray. But I'm going to set a watch too. You know what I'm saying? Yes. The things that matter, we ought not surrender easily. Are you listening to me? The brethren said it can't be done. Enemies said it won't be done. Nehemiah said, remember the Lord who's awesome. And let's stand up and defend what matters. See what others don't, say what others won't. Number three, Nehemiah's doing what others can't. He's doing what others can't. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Here is a man infused with the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's leading. And the other people are so discouraged, they can't do that. But God's hand of blessings on him. Wow. Now, let me ask a question, and I know this is my country instead of yours, but right here sits... A former U.S. Marine. Brian, do you know of a gentleman named Lewis Puller? Oh, his nickname was Chesty Puller. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about? Born in 1891. Died in 1978. He died Lieutenant General Chesty Puller. And by the way, I've never talked... Mention that man's name in the presence of a Marine, but what a lot of Marines' eyes tear up a little bit because they know Chesty Puller's reputation. You know why they called him Chesty Puller? Because they, yes, sir, they said nobody donned the Marine Corps uniform and wore it with the dignity with his chest puffed out and his medals, his ribbons here on his chest. Nobody wore the uniform like Chesty Puller wore it. He was the epitome of what a warrior ought to be. You know what he's known for more than that? Two occasions, he was surrounded and his unit was surrounded on every side. And on the last occasion, he pulled his men together and he said this. I love this. He said, men, it is true. The enemy's in front of us and the enemy is behind us. They are to our right and they are to our left. This time, they're not getting away. (laughs) They're too close to get away. And you know what, Brian, you know the story. He won. He won. You know what Lewis Puller was? He was a Nehemiah who against insurmountable odds said we can do it. And they did. Now, I don't know anything about Chesty Puller's spiritual condition. But I'll tell you this, Nehemiah has God on his side. My dad used to say this. You and God make a majority 
So what are you afraid of? Let's go. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? Father, I pray you'd speak to us. Lord, over the course of these days, I'm asking that you not just challenge us, though you will definitely do that. I'm praying we would allow you to change us. Lord, help us to see the world in which we live, that it's in desperate need. My beloved country, this incredible country, in fact, the world in general, is in desperate need of a touch from God. And Lord, what you're looking for are people through whom you can work to turn the situation from darkness to light. From the enemy having the victory to you having the victory. You're looking for modern day Nehemiahs who be as it were change agents for your glory. People who will be fanners of the flame you want to ignite. And Father, it has been my prayer for weeks now, and it's certainly my prayer again tonight, that from this conference would come men and women, young men and young women, who would determine, I want to be a modern-day Nehemiah. I want to be a fanner of the flame of what you want to do, God, in my country, in the place where I live. God, I want you to use me. Father, I pray we'd have many tonight who would desire that more than they desire their next breath. Father, we'll thank you for what you do. Now, friends, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Before I ask you a question, I just want to share something with you. This is February. On January 1st, 2018, after staying up the night before and watching the new year come in, my sweet bride and I, sat down and I said, sweetheart, I think 2018 may be the most pivotal year in our lives that is the most important year we have ever lived. She knew exactly why I was saying that because of some things that are going on in my country and opportunities God has given us to impact the lives of people in high office for the glory of God. This is going to be the most important year we have ever had. It's going to demand something from us. It's going to demand that we be yielded, committed. It's not that we haven't been that in the past, but it's going to mean ratcheting up our surrender to the Lord and our commitment to Him so that we can be fanners of the flame of what God wants to do. She said, honey, I'm on board. You know I am. I said, sweetheart, I know you are. But along with that will come some hardship. Not everybody's going to be happy. The enemy's going to engage against us like they've never engaged. And some of the brethren, tragically, will say, well, it, great idea, Dave, great idea. But it can't be done. And we're going to have to listen to the voice of God. Our awesome God. Are you with me on that? No matter how difficult it gets. And she said, you know I am. Friends, I want to pro propose to you the same discussion my wife and I had. I've never been interested in wasting time and playing games. That's just not my nature. 
But I'm really not interested in doing that at 58 years of age. I want God to use me. I want to be a fanner of the flame of what God wants to do. And trust me, folks, He wants to do something through you. Are you willing to let Him? Plain and simple, let me word it this way. If you're willing to say, Dave, I get it. Nehemiah saw what others couldn't see. He was willing to say what others dared not say. And he did what others just simply couldn't do. Because he had God's power on his life. I want to be that kind of person in the year 2018. Folks, we're at the very beginning of it. We're not even a full two months in. This is going to be a pivotal year. The young people that are going to arrive tomorrow. This is going to be a pivotal year for them and for us. God, I want to be a fanner of your flame. I want you to use me, God. I'm making myself available. I want to see what others don't. I want to be willing to say what others won't. And God, in your power and in your strength, I want you to use me to do what other people can't do. I want to be a Nehemiah in 2018. If that is you, I want to ask if you'd be willing to do something tonight. I know this may be a little different. But if God has spoken to you and you'd be willing to say, Dave, I get it. I understand what the Word has said tonight. And yes, I want to be a fanner of God's flame in 2018. I want to do in 2018 what God used Nehemiah to do so many years ago. I'm in, Dave. I'm in. I want to be a fanner of the flame. If that's you and the desire of your heart as a Christian, I wonder if you'd be willing just to get up from where you're currently seated and join me here in this altar and just simply tell God that. God, I want to be a fanner of your flame in the year 2018. If that's you, the desire of your heart, would you be willing to, God bless you. I want to be a fanner of your flame. God bless you, young ladies. God bless you, sir and ma'am. God bless you, young man. God bless you, young lady. God bless you, ma'am. Bless your heart, ma'am. Bless you, sir. God, I want you to use me. God bless you, sir. Folk, like never before, this is the time for God's church to rise up. God, I want to be a fanner of your flame. I know you want to do something. He does. He wants to bring revival. Will we see a nationwide revival, a worldwide revival? I don't know. It doesn't matter if it's nationwide or worldwide. I want to see one in my community. I want to see one in my church. Lord, I want you to use me. I want to fan the flame in 2018 of what you want to do. Use me, oh God. Father, I pray. I pray with everything that's in me, God, that you'd help us in these incredible days of opportunity to grasp, to understand the time in which we live. May we understand, Lord, there are doors open right now that will not stay open like they are now. We have just a limited amount of time, perhaps more limited than we've ever imagined. But Lord, whatever time you've given us, we must be faithful. We must be filled with your Spirit. And Father, we've got to be fanners of your flame. Use these, my dear friends, that I've loved so much and growing to love even more. And Lord, use me as well to that end that we might see you work in us and through us. And Lord, should there be a man, a woman, a young person in this place that does not yet know you as Savior, I pray before it's too late they'll come to you and be saved. 
will thank you and praise you for what you do. We ask these things, Lord Jesus, in your name and for your glory alone. And all God's people who prayed with me said, Amen. If you're done kneeling here, you're certainly welcome to return to your seat. If you're still praying, you take as long as you need. There's no rush. I want to share one last thing with you before we close. Would you look up at me just a moment? In my country on June 14th of this past year, something happened that rocked our country. You probably watched it on the news. There was a shooting at a ball field outside the city of Washington, D.C., where a group of congressmen were practicing for an annual baseball game. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The shooter had a high-powered rifle, which is a whole other discussion that we're trying to have in our country. You need to pray for us. It will come to the right conclusions about all this stuff. It's very important that we do. But he began firing on sitting ducks. He hit a number of people. The person that was hit and wounded the most seriously was a congressman named Steve Scalise. He was shot through one of his hips. He lay out on the ball field around shortstop there on the ball field until two officers, one named David Bailey and a young lady named Crystal Griner. They're both special agents with the Capitol Hill Police. They guard Capitol Hill and they guard senators and congressmen. That's what they do daily. I want you to think about this. Brian, as everybody else is running away from the gunfire, those two have been so well trained. They charged into the gunfire. Both of them were hit, but they kept going and took down the shooter. Can I hear an amen right there? Before catastrophic damage and death could have been wrecked, and havoc could have occurred. Because of their heroism, and I alluded to this last year when I was here and asked you to pray about it, I said, pray for me about three things, and I'll not reiterate them, but one of the three was this. I had an opportunity to become chaplain for the Capitol Hill Police. And at events like this, be the chaplain, pray, and, and do different things. And of course, the Lord allowed that to happen. So in September, when an award ceremony took place, and David Bailey, Crystal Griner were honored. Normally only one officer is honored every year. It's called the Capitol Hill Police Officer of the Year Award. Normally one person is honored, but because of the heroism of both of them, rightly so, they were both given the award. When we walked into the Mansfield room of the U.S. Capitol, the back of the room about where the pulpit is, there is a mantle. It has its own unique history. I'll not tell you the history. Above it hangs a picture of George Washington, my country's first president. That painting probably valued in excess of a million dollars. It's beautiful. It's old. It's probably close to 160 or more years old. That room is an august room. I don't have to say this because of what's been going on in my country over the last number of decades. God has not really been welcome. But at that event, David Bailey, African-American officer, wonderful guy, stood up and he said this, my dear sister. He said, I'm alive for one reason only, because Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, wants me to be alive. I have a mission to fulfill. Can I hear an amen? By the way, that made it real easy for yours truly to pray. And to speak words of truth into that gathering. There was also a young man there by the name of Zach Barth. He was shot in the foot. There was also a young man at that event. He was injured on the ball field as well. His name's Matt Micah. Matt was shot four times in the chest by that shooter. And every shot was a miracle. 
missed his heart and the arteries around it. Can I hear an amen right there? And Matt stood up and said, I'm alive because God wants me alive. Rob, I don't know any other way to describe it, but God's presence filled that room in the U.S. Capitol building. Nathan sang, God bless America. He sang another beautiful song. It was absolutely amazing what took place. That which has not really been allowed, encouraged, permitted, was invited in that day. And I'm here to tell you, that only happened because we serve a God who's alive and well. Because there's naysayers everywhere that say, that'll never happen again in the United States of America. It did happen. God used a tragedy to allow His name to be exalted in the very building where He's not been welcomed for so long. This is a pivotal year, 2018, not just for me and for my country, for you in your beloved land. And we need to pray like we've never prayed before, but we need to engage the fanners of God's flame in these amazing days. Can I hear an amen? Amen. amen.